This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. On this episode, the first of a special five-part series, January 6th, Views from the House. Recently, we spoke with 14 members of Congress. They shared their stories about where they were and what they saw on January 6th, when a mob stormed the U.S. Capitol, trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. This week, we hear from Representative Mark Wayne Mullen, Republican of Oklahoma, Jason Crow, Democrat of Colorado, and Tom Malinowski, Democrat of New Jersey. The first voice you'll hear is former Vice President Mike Pence, who was presiding over the joint session that day. Madam Speaker, members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in joint session to verify the certificates and count the votes of the electors of the several states for President and Vice President of the United States. At 1 p.m. on January 6th, the House and Senate met in joint session to count the electoral votes of the 2020 presidential election. An hour later, a mob entered the Capitol with the intention of disrupting the vote. As the protesters moved closer to the Senate and House chambers, Vice President Pence and Speaker Pelosi were evacuated to safe locations. Minutes later, security officials ushered House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and other congressional leadership off the House floor. With tension rising in the building, the House and Senate abruptly recessed. Without objection, the House is going to go back into recess. There were a few dozen members of Congress in the House chamber at that time, including Oklahoma Republican Mark Wayne Mullen and Colorado Democrat Jason Crow. First, Representative Mark Wayne Mullen, who talks about his recollection of being on the House floor that day. I'm pretty observant of what's going on around me. And so I was we were sitting there. Uh, we were uh, just starting, you know, the debate. And um, and I started noticing a lot of activity uh, with uh, Capitol Police and uh, with the uh, Sergeant of Arms. Um, I started hearing you could hear their earpieces, which is unusual. Usually there's no traffic in their earpieces, but I could hear their earpieces because there was one near to me and it was getting pretty um, exciting. And unfortunately, um, I've been in those situations before uh, overseas and um, I recognized that there was an issue really quick. In fact, I looked over at Congressman Jason Smith, who was beside me, and uh, I said, something's happening. And he goes, what? And I said, something's going on. Um, and then it was just a matter of, of a minute or so later that people started looking at their phones because Twitter's feed started going off. I don't get alerts on my Twitter feed because that would drive me nuts, but a lot of people do. And um, and that was that was the first indication that, that something was happening. And then it, things started moving pretty quick then. So you are where in the chamber at this point? First, I was second or third row. I think I was the second row on the front um, you know, on the Republican side, on the right side, kind of towards the middle. And where are the police officers that you 
are able to hear what's happening in, in their earpieces. Well, they were running up and down, not running, but they were moving up and down the aisle. So I was sitting right on the aisle in the middle section on the, on the side and they were going in front of the aisle and then right in the, in the, um, in the, what we call the well, which is the front part. And so it was clear that something was happening. And then, um, and then the, the lieutenant came to the came to the mic and uh, said that the you know and I'll just I'll just kind of w- start walking through it you know I um, the lieutenant came to the mic and he said uh, he said they have uh, breached the Capitol uh, and they're in the Capitol building they're in the Senate we have a feeling that they may be coming this way and um, and and then about that time uh, they came rushing in and rushed out. Um, uh, Plosi and I think Scleese. I know McCarthy wasn't there. I don't know if Hoyer was there or not, but I know Scleese's guys came in, and I know um, uh, Plosi's guys came in, and they took them out. Uh, at that time, Lieutenant uh, came to the mic and said, uh, "We're going to go on lockdown, and uh, and if they breach the floor or if they if they breach the door, we he wants everybody to lay down." And I, as I said, I, I've been in these situations before, unfortunately. Similar, nothing exactly the same. Um, Can you explain for, for people who don't know your background? I'd, I'd probably prefer not to, and I'm sorry. I just don't want to get into that. Uh, but I, um, uh, and, and I had, uh, he said to, for everybody to get in and, and lay down. And I stood up at that point and I said, sir, you're wrong. And, uh, and I turned around to everybody and I said, do not lay down on the floor. I said, everybody, if they hit that door, we need to go out those doors and down those steps. And then the lieutenant walked over to me and I said, sir, I mean, no disrespect, but you don't lay down during a riot. That's how you get people killed. People are going to get stomped. They're going to get walked over. I mean, people that get hurt are the people that lose their footing during a riot. And and he understood that. And he was very um, receptive uh, and, and, and like I said, there's still a lot of noise going on in, in his in his earpiece, and he was trying to make decisions the best he could. Uh, what my observation was is that Capitol Police and Sergeant Orange did the best they could, and they were doing the best they possibly could with the training and, and equipment they had. The problem was is that they, they, they weren't really trained for it, and they had no contingency plans on how to get members or get people off the floor in a case like that. Um, I, you know, I, the first thing you have to do is have a contingency plan. When you're dealing with a situation like that, you should have a contingency plan A, B, and C, and each one of your contingency plans should have a contingency plan on how to do it. It was very evident right off the bat that they didn't have any idea how to get the members or get the staff off the House floor, but they were willing to react. And so what I enjoyed about it is the fact that Capitol Police and Sergeant Arms was willing to do something. They, know, they never froze up. They are willing to react but they didn't actually have the training um, or the protocols put in place to be able to do what, what properly needed to be done. Now, anytime you go through these situations, you can always debrief them 50,000 times and come up with 50,000 different solutions that you could have done better. So they were doing the best they could in those situations. And when, when I started explaining to the Lieutenant, just in brief, I mean, very brief because things were happening very quick. Uh, he was very receptive of it, but by then they had already put us on lockdown. It was just a matter of seconds before we hit them. We heard them hit the first set of doors, 
which and which doors two, are which doors are you talking about if you're looking at well if you're coming out of the statuary hall running to the house floor there's two sets of doors so there's doors right in the hallway then there's a, a small gap like a small little foyer and i don't know if you can even consider it a foyer but it's a small little area where you walk up a couple steps before you enter into the actual chamber and there's a set of doors there so the first set of doors are the ones that are actually in the hallway and we heard them hit the door um, I, uh, I grabbed one of the Capitol police individuals, which was on a detail. So he was in a suit. So he was part of someone's detail. And I actually think he was part of Scalise's detail who stayed behind. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but I think it was, um, we, uh, we go out or we run over to the Republican side corner and grab a, uh, a desk and we bring it over there to put it in front of the doors. And then someone else grabbed a um, grabbed a bench and put it on top of it. So we stacked furniture in front of the door, and you can see pictures of that. Uh, and, and then we 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 um, the sergeant came back on, and he said that um, they've they've deployed tear gas and wanted people to to put the gas hoods on because underneath every chair there's gas hoods. Problem is, is, and I've joked about this for years, is we have all this these gas hoods and stuff, but they've never showed us how to do it. They never showed anybody ever. Once again, lack of training, uh, which was uh, that was a failure of, of of leadership. That wasn't the failure of the guys that were in there working. They were doing everything they could, um, but it was a lack of, of, of contingency plans, and they they failed at it. Um, and they start told everybody to put their hoods on, but no one knew how to put them on. And then there was a huge issue with people trying to put them on. Uh, I, and I, I, I kind of question the fact that we needed to put it on anyways because of tear gas, because they deployed the tear gas in, in the rotunda uh, and nowhere near us. So sometimes when you do that, you actually cause people to, to, to actually panic a little bit, but no one did. Uh, the members handled it very well. Capitol Police was was reacting. Like I said, they weren't doing nothing. They were they weren't freezing up. They were reacting the best they could without clear direction. And then and then just a second later, um, they they broke through the first set of doors and then they hit the second set of doors. Now they're right there. And they and are used, you right? Are you still right there, Congressman? Yes. Um, myself and Troy Nils were two congressmen. Troy Nils, Sheriff Nils, were the two members that were right there. Um, because when I when I stood up. I went to the back of, of the room because I, I knew I could be of assistance. I knew I could be an asset. Uh, I wasn't trying to do their job for them. They were going to do their job and they were going to do what it took to, to they were going to do their job, what it took to protect us. And I, I felt very confident in that, but I also knew they could be easily overran. And, and so I, I, sh- I went back there to, to try to be an asset. Some of these guys that were back there were friends of mine. Some of these guys I've talked to multiple times, um, and 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 we've talked about certain cases and, and certain things that we've done in the past. And and so I knew these guys. And so when I stepped back there, I actually took off my tie and took off my jacket. And, and Sheriff Nils, he stood up and he said, uh, are we doing this, brother? And I said, do we have a choice? And he immediately jumped in right beside me. And then Tony Gonzalez uh, jumped in. And then I, I believe it was Ronnie, Ronnie Jackson. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was Ronnie Jackson who also was, was uh, going to be a willing participant uh, and help you know, keep them from breaking in. It was just a second later that they, um, I think it was just a second later that they, that they broke the uh, glass. 
And when they first broke it, they used a glass bunch and it sounded, um, it sounded like gunshots. And um, they started yelling, shots fired, shots fired. And I actually thought shots were fired too. And I jumped because behind the chairs, there's, uh, the, behind the chairs have Kevlar behind the chairs, which are bullet resistant. Um, and they're designed that way just because of the shooting we had, you know, in the chamber back in the 50s. And so I jumped behind there and then I quickly realized that was a glass punch because I looked at the holes and you could clearly tell the holes they were from a glass punch. And so I yelled back, don't shoot, because now by now all the Capitol Police has got their guns drawn and they're yelling. And by the time you present your weapon like that and you're in those kind of situations, I'll tell you, Capitol Police showed great restraint by not opening fire because everybody thought shots were fired. And uh, for the fact that they didn't discharge their weapon when they presented the weapon, they were using their head. They were thinking, even though they may have lacked training, they didn't lack discipline. And the Capitol Police showed great restraint in that. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of situations, especially overseas, that that in those circumstances, sh- shots would have started being firing in the opposite direction and people would have lost their lives. Uh, so Capitol Police did a great job by showing restraint. Um, when I realized that it wasn't shots fired, uh, I, I started to halt. I mean, this is just, all this happened very quick. I mean, so this is a matter of, of three seconds. Uh, um I started yelling, no shots, no shots, don't fire, don't fire, don't shoot. Actually, I was saying don't shoot. And, and then I went to the glass, and they were there, and they're, the, 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 the rioters are there, and they're, they're being very um, uh, belligerent to some degree. And I started yelling, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You almost got killed. Is it worth it? And uh, one of the guys said, what? And I said, you almost died. Is it worth it? And the guy stopped. And at that time, they quit beating on the door. This time, they were really shaking and beating on the door. And they quit beating on the door, and they stopped. And they didn't respond for a second. And then what we call an agitator, uh, anytime you had those crowds like that, it, it, they, it, you know, and, and people have ill intentions, you know, there's professional agitators that can get people stirred up. I mean, you can take, you can take five agitators, and they can get a crowd of 1,000-plus stirred up really, really quick, uh, especially if they know what they're doing. And uh, what I would consider a, a true agitator, I would say he's probably a professional agitator. I don't know. I don't have his history. We didn't do a, a deep dive on who he is. But he definitely came to the front and he started talking and started stirring. And the words he was using are key words that people use when they're trying to agitate a crowd. He had lost the crowd. You know, once an agitator gets a crowd going, they don't take the lead. They let the crowd take the lead. They fall back. But once they settle down, they jump back in front and they start trying to stir everybody back up. That's what. A, that's why I say this guy was part of a professional agitator. He came to the front and he started using words that, quite frankly, he it, it keyed off on me. And uh, I hollered at him and I says, um, "I'd put you down." And I said, "I'd put you down." And the guy looked at me and he says, "This is our house." I said, "It's our house too." He says, yeah, but this is our effing house. And I said, it's our house too. And we're not going to let you come in. Uh, at that point, things kind of went to a stalemate. And um, I got I, I, someone else hollered for something. And I went over and the lieutenant and I were talking back and forth this time. But Sheriff Nils, he stayed right there in front of that door the whole time. Sheriff Nils, at some point, Troy Nils from, from Houston, he started engaging with them too. 
uh, talking to him back and forth. And he's a sheriff. I mean, he definitely knows what he's doing too. And that guy stayed put. And I don't know what Tony, I really lost track of what Tony and Ronnie at the time were, were doing. Uh, but at, uh, at some point during that uh, exchange, they had went around to the speaker's lobby uh, over on the side. And we started hearing commotion there. And that same lieutenant, um, we were all focused on that front door. Uh, what I call the front door. Some people call it the back chamber, but it's the door that the, that when we're in joint session that the this guest walk through, or when this or when the president of the United States is is addressing, you know, the joint session and getting the State of the Union. It's the doors he goes through. That's what I call the front doors. Some people call it the back of the chamber. But at some point, the back uh, started happening. And they started evacuating people. By in the meantime, while this was all going on, they started evacuating people down those steps. That I told people to go through and get out. They unlocked the chamber and started getting people through. But during this time, they dis, they they evacuated the floor, um, but they they the balcony was still locked up, and we still had members in the balcony because of COVID. We were all separated, so they wanted to open the balcony instead of having guests up there. It was actually members that were up in the balcony. They were still locked in because the only way to get out of the balcony is you actually have to go into the hallway, and it's unsecured area. Well, it's always a secured area, but in this case, it was an unsecured area because that's where the riders were. And uh, they started hitting the back door, which the back door by the by the speaker's lobby is just glass. I mean, it's it's. I mean, there's a lot of glass there, and I think there's a lot of video out there that shows this unfortunate situation that took place. And um, and the lieutenant had a post up back there, and what I mean by post up, he had to take a position. And the lieutenant, by my account, he was by himself. All the rest of us, it wasn't very many of us that was still on the floor that was trying to protect the floor. Um. And the sergeant of arms and this Capitol Police, and they they were all piled up, like I said, shorthanded, doing a phenomenal job, doing the best they could, still still protecting members, was still going to put their life on the line to protect us, doing an outstanding job with the tools and the training they had. They were doing the best they could. And, uh, and but I, I looked out, I turned around, and I could see where the lieutenant was, was posted up, and I, I couldn't hear what he was saying because there was a lot of commotion. There was commotion going on in the front of us. There was commotion going on back there. But from my perspective, I could see that I felt like he was alone. And he was obviously in a position because he had to draw his weapon. And I saw him posted up with his weapon. And I could tell he was given some kind of commands. I couldn't tell exactly what he was saying. I couldn't even tell what he was saying at all. I couldn't make it out. But um, you could tell he was he was in a little bit of a situation. And, um, and my mind started going on, if they breach that door, we're going to have to engage them really quick. And um, and that engagement would be whatever it took to stop them. And I know I was prepared. I know the people that was with me was prepared to do whatever it took to stop them. You, you uh, because it was going to. You, you didn't, though, Congressman, have a, a weapon. Um, you don't always have to have a weapon to do certain things, but there's there's um, you know, a lot of things happen in those situations, and you know you're going to react the way you got to react. Uh, it's kind of like the front door. If they came through that front door, we knew that was going to be a choke point, or I knew it was going to be a choke point. And the idea to slow them down when they go through that front door, what I call the front door is, the, you know, the back of the chamber, is that you pile them up right there. And if you create a dog pile, then it slows people down and it allows people, it, it creates a, a chaos. And so you pile them up at that choke point, you pile them up. Um, and that's, that's a true choke point that you have. You have an opportunity to stop a lot of the people being able to rush in because you pile them up right there. And that's a, that's a technique that you can use. Well, and that back door by the speaker's lobby, that's not an option. 
that's a that's a lot wider area. It's still a choke point, but not very big. It's a, it's a it's or not a very good one. It's it's pretty wide. And once they come in, they can scatter through all over the place. Do you think that is why that um, I, I believe you said it was the lieutenant who was posted yeah. up? That the is that the person we see in the video that you referenced? Now, do you think he was posted up because of what you just described? Absolutely, absolutely. He- He did not want to to use lethal force at all. Um, this guy is uh, later in his career. I guarantee you. I don't know for a fact, but I guarantee you, he's never had to pull his weapon in a in a manner like that before. Uh, he was the last person in the world that ever wanted to use force like that, uh, and he wasn't wanting to do that. I, I, I know for a fact because after it happened, he came over and, and he was physically and emotionally distraught. And I actually gave him a hug. And I said, sir, you did what you had to do. And I mean that. Unfortunately, uh, the young lady, uh, her family's life has changed. And it was an unfortunate situation that that she lost her life and, and some people lost their loved ones. But the lieutenant's life has also changed too, because if it's the first time you've ever had to use lethal force, that doesn't ever leave you. And it wasn't his choice. He didn't show up to work that day to have to do that. He didn't, he didn't, he was doing his job and he got put in a situation where he had to do his job because there was members still in the balcony. And if you're going to present your weapon in a manner and give commands and they still don't listen and they still approach, you don't have a choice because either you have to, at that point, discharge your weapon in a manner of, of, of self-defense or that weapon's going to be taken away from you. It's going to be used on you and it's going to put all of our lives in, chain, in danger too. So he, unfortunately, what he did, he did. But I believe that he saved actually other people's lives along the way because I think there would have been a lot more that would have lost their lives because we wouldn't have had a choice but to use lethal force at that point. Mind you, there were still a lot of members in the balcony and there was a few still left on the floor. Most had already evacuated, though. And, uh, and as it was an unfortunate situation. This was a very dark day in American history that should have never, ever, ever happened. And, and, and all of us, all of us, are to blame on this one. I mean, Republicans, Democrats, uh, the media, uh, the administration, all of us, because we have to learn a different way to debate. What we use as politicians and as, as media is little key phrases, little key things to get people aroused, to get people excited, to you know, to get people's attention. The problem is, is we do that so much that turns into anger. And and this went too far. This is something that's been bubbling too long, and it and it caused a dark day on American history. It's going to be there forever. I didn't want to be there. It's an unfortunate situation. I wish I was never there, but I was, and I had to react the way that I had to react, and other people reacted the way they had to react. But immediately after what the lieutenant had to do, we still had people up top, and I saw Jason Crow, who's a congressman from from Colorado. I saw him pick his head up. And Jason and I have worked out a lot together. Politically, we are on totally different islands. <laughs> we don't get along when it comes to politics, but we get along personally. And Jason and I had had a lot of workouts together because um, I run a workout group in the morning. He's one of them that's there quite often. And, and he poked his head up and I said, Jason, get him out. I knew he had a military background. I said, Jason, get him out. And he says, the doors are locked. I said, break the door, get him out. And, uh, and, and then there was a, a sergeant that was up there that was looking for keys to unlock the door. They got him some keys. They started unlocking, in my opinion, the wrong door because they were going to go out the, the door that was going to lead them right down to where the riders were. And I said, no, they're wrong. Other door, go out this door. 
And so they unlocked the door, they went out and they evacuated. And as soon as they got out, then the rest of us left the floor. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, and, and, and then I went to a triage center, which I haven't seen a thing like that since, you know, stuff you see overseas. And uh, I, I started realizing actually the restraint even more so what our Capitol Police did. Now, I, and I keep this in mind, they had two options. They could be passive or use lethal force. They, had, they didn't have weapons to be less lethal. Pepper spray is not less lethal. Pepper spray may settle down one person. Pepper spray is not designed to stop a riding crowd. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, but they didn't have less lethal weapons when it comes to, 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 to rubber bullets or to bean bags that they could shoot um, to, to put out warning shots basically for them to stop before they escalated to the, to, to the lethal. They could use less lethal, then have to use that. They either had to be passive and use little bite guards to try keeping them from going through, taking hits to the face, or they had to escalate it to actual lethal force. And when they pulled the, when they pulled the, the, the um, when they when they decide to pull the weapon, then you have to use it. You don't have a choice like that lieutenant. You don't have a choice. And the lieutenant had to do what he had to do because he had to protect us. Um, but when I went down the triage center, I saw at least 50 guys and I shook all their hands and I thanked them for what they were doing. I went down there before I went to went before I went to the to the lockup room where everybody was at just to check on them. I went to the triage center first at lockup. And I don't say lockup area. It was, it was a holding area. No one was locked in the room. Members at the ways and means you could come and go if you want to. The media said it was, they were locked in there. That's actually not true. They, you could come and go as you want. But before I went there, I went and checked on all the Capitol police and, I mean, I, I saw 50 guys at least shook their hands, guys, guys, meaning men and women um, from the DC police to Sergeant Barnes to the Capitol police uniformed and non-uniformed officers that were, I mean, broken noses, uh, busted up faces, broken arms, busted heads. Um, I saw one guy with his eye completely gouged out, literally, and they were trying to evacuate him, but he couldn't because they couldn't get medical services in there to get him to where he needed to go. Luckily, his eye was saved, but he's going to lose some vision in it. Um, I saw guys that were hyperventilating. Uh, I saw guys that had got uh, hit with pepper spray. Um, and, And I thought, you know, you just think about this. They showed so much restraint because they weren't afraid to put themselves in body, their body in harm's way. They, they weren't cowards. They stood the line, took a beating, and they showed so much restraint that they could have killed that individual. They're attacking a police officer. Any place, if you got in a fight on the side of the street with an officer, that officer has every opportunity to use lethal force at that point because his life's in danger. Those their lives were in danger and they could have easily used lethal force that they wanted to, but they had great restraint because they were probably at all too that these are American citizens. And, and I, do I really want to escalate it that far, but they had to calculate this by themselves and they didn't. If it was any other country, this was any other place in the world. And that would have happened to a government building. There would have been a, there would have been countless people that would have lost their lives. But these officers were willing to show enough restraint that they were putting their actual body in harm's way when they had a firearm on their side and not just, and didn't decide to use it. I think they are absolutely heroes. I don't know if I could have done that. I, don't, I honestly don't know if I would have been able to do that. But they did, and not just a few of them, but a lot of them did. And it's remarkable 
to me that unfortunately only one person lost their lives by gunshot. And it's unfortunate. I will say it's unfortunate, but it, but it, it could have been so much worse. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Also in the chamber that day was Jason Crow. The Colorado Democrat was just three days into his second term on Capitol Hill. He talked about how his day began on January 6th. My scheduler actually uh, texted me that uh, there was a, a spot available to sit in the gallery and watch the opening of the debate. Uh, I, I wanted to debate. I wanted to have my voice heard in that process uh, and, and try to refute the lies and the conspiracy theories that were being sown uh, by uh, some of my colleagues. Um, but uh, I didn't have a slot yet. So uh, my scheduler told me that uh, she had a, a slot for the, the first hour and um, asked me whether I wanted, I wanted to do it. And uh, I think I texted back, sure, uh, why not? Um, and uh, uh, so I finished the work I was doing and grabbed a quick lunch uh, at the cafeteria in Longworth and then just about around 12.30 walked uh, over to the Capitol to, um, uh, to go into the gallery and to join some of my colleagues. And you know, it, there was a tension in the air, it was an overcast day uh, my family had actually decided to leave early. They were uh, originally scheduled to fly back to Colorado the next day on the 7th. Uh, but we decided to have them leave on the 5th uh, because of the planned protests and just not wanting them and the kids to be around in, in case anything happened. So there was a kind of an ominous feeling um, leading up to that. But I, I, you know, that morning I had confidence that the Capitol Police would be able to uh, address anything that came up. So you decide to make your way over to the Capitol and where in the chamber did you go and what were you doing? Well, I went up to the gallery level and uh, checked in with uh, some of the staff there. They had a, a checklist of the members who they were expecting to go up and uh, they were trying to space folks out because of COVID. Uh, so there was about two dozen of us that uh, sat up on the, on the gallery side, on um, the, the Democratic side of the gallery. Uh, there were, um, I, I don't remember there being any Republicans on their side of the gallery. Many of them were, were down on the floor. But the way that we had it planned, the, the Democrats, was just those who were speaking and debating would be on the floor and, and those who were observing would be in the gallery. So about two dozen of us uh, took our seats, spaced out, uh, and um, watched as the Speaker gaveled in the proceedings and as the Senate came over uh, and the uh, Vice President came over. And uh, we were watching it and uh, saw the opening debates. Uh, and at the same time, many of us were sitting up with our phones open, looking at uh, the protest and what was happening, and then saw that as it came to the Capitol and turned from a protest into a violent mob uh, and the clashes with police started. So you are aware of the protesters approaching the Capitol because you're following the news on your phone, not because you've received communication from security personnel at the Capitol. 
That's right. We were following it uh, on, on social media and on uh, news feeds on our phone uh, and actually saw as they um, hit the first barricade and started to fight with police uh, and uh, heard the chance of, of, you know, kill them and, and bring out the guillotine and build the gallows. Uh, we, we saw and heard all of that happening. Uh, and um, I remember thinking to myself, I, I don't know whether there are enough police. I looked at the size of that crowd, the thousands of um, Trump supporters and, and rioters uh, clashing with what seemed like just a couple of hundred police out there at the barricades, you know, with, with very tiny, small bike fences uh, uh, between them and the rioters. Uh, and that was the first time I, I kind of thought to myself, um, I don't know whether they're ready. What are you saying at this moment to your colleagues? What, if any, conversations are you having? Well, we're all looking at this and, and kind of wondering what was going on. Um, and I remember um, we, we only had, we, we were uh, uh, scheduled to be an hour blocks to actually sit in the gallery for an hour at a time. And I remember looking over at one of my colleagues and, and um, as our hour was close to being up, as we saw the, the mob encircle the Capitol complex uh, and um, the, the first barricade start to dissolve, I remember I, I looked over and said, I don't think we're leaving. I don't think we're going to leave after this hour. It doesn't seem like uh, it's going to be safe for us to go back to our offices. Uh, of course, I didn't realize uh, the extent to which that would be true uh, and exactly what would happen. But uh, in, in the minutes that followed, because things started to move very rapidly after that, the minutes that followed, uh, became aware of how grave of a situation it was. Walk us through those minutes. After you say that to your colleague, what happens next? So what happened was we saw the, the barricades um, start to dissolve and break down. There was an outer security barricade. Uh, and I actually saw, uh, I was watching on my phone as uh, the rioters breached that. Uh, and um, as the police started to, to move in uh, and, and try to uh, close their barricade and, and reestablish a perimeter around the Capitol itself. The, uh, the first thing that happened was security came in and removed leadership. Uh, they removed the speaker uh, down from uh, the dais and, and took um, the majority leader and, and uh, minority leader and, and minority whip uh, off the floor. And that's when I realized that they were starting to, to take uh, extra security precautions and that things were getting out of hand. Uh, that happened. What did you uh, I still... What did you see, Congressman? I mean, how did that look from your perspective up in the gallery? The speaker being whisked away, the leader being whisked, whisked away. And what were you thinking? I started to get nervous. That was the first point at which um, uh, I realized that uh, security officials had assessed that it wasn't safe for them to be in there. And they were starting to remove um, the people that, that they, were, they were responsible for protecting. Um, but, but I still had some confidence that they were able to secure the Capitol complex, but uh, that confidence rapidly eroded uh, because the next thing I saw was, um, uh, you know, the notification by the officers uh, or heard rather the notification by the officers to, to get our gas masks on. Uh, and they, they told us that um, there were rioters that had breached the Capitol that had made it into the Capitol complex uh, and that they were going to deploy tear gas and um, to, to get under uh, or reach under our seats and get the gas masks out. It was at, at that point I realized that they were losing control. 
and that the situation was uh, turning into chaos. So um, the members both in the gallery on the House floor uh, reached under or getting their gas masks out. Uh, that's something that I had done you know, hundreds of times in training uh, in the military, uh, but most of my colleagues had never done it. So I was helping them uh, open up the, the containers and go through the, the, um, the packaging and show them how to get the mask uh, prepared and how to put it on. But I told them, don't put it on uh, until we're instructed uh, or until I uh, smell tear gas. So I knew that if you put the mask on, that you could pass out uh, if you're if you're um, wearing it for too long or hyperventilating. Uh, so what I said was uh, just get it ready. And I showed uh, many of them how to get it ready. And uh, I, I told them that if I smelled tear gas, I would tell them to put it on. Uh, but uh, until then, just to have it prepared. What are those conversations like? What are those colleagues saying to you at this moment? Well, we got the, the masks out. I could uh, see the anxiety, and, and I was feeling that anxiety myself in my, in my colleagues' uh, eyes and in their voices. Uh, they started to then, uh, the police started to, to evacuate the members on the floor. And I remember my, my friend and colleague, Diana DeGette from Colorado, uh, yelled down, what about us? Because uh, they were evacuating the members on the floor. And it didn't seem like they were even aware that we were up there, that they had remembered there was about two dozen members that were up in the gallery that the focus was on the members on the floor. Uh, and then uh, Dean Phillips from, from Minnesota um, yelled out at that point, uh, this is because of you, uh, yelled to the Republicans, uh, that this is happening because of you. The House will be in order. Okay. Uh, so it was tense. Uh, there was a, a lot of tension, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Uh, people were getting their gas masks ready. Uh, it um, uh, became apparent from my conversations with the police, but also looking at my phone, uh, that the, the mob was starting to encircle uh, the House chamber. Uh, but what I saw next was, was actually the most shocking thing, one of the most shocking things I have ever seen. What happened next? Well, I looked up. Uh, this is after they had uh, evacuated the House floor. Uh, so there were no members on the floor. Actually, there, there were a few that were actually remained behind, um, Mark Wayne Mullen uh, and a few others. Uh, but most of the members had evacuated the floor. Uh, I looked up uh, and I saw uh, the Capitol Police locking the doors and starting to barricade the doors. And we were still in there. And that's why I realized um, that there was no plan anymore, that they had lost complete control uh, and that we were in really deep trouble. Uh, so they were locking us into the chamber. I saw the police uh, scrambling to grab whatever, whatever furniture they could grab uh, and start stacking against the, um, the main door on the, on the floor chamber. Uh, so I immediately kind of converted into um, ranger mode. Actually, the first thing that I did before then was I, I made a decision, uh, like several of us, to call my wife. Uh, so uh, I took my phone out and I called my wife and told her that I loved her, that uh, we were uh, surrounded and that I'd either have to make a stand in the gallery or potentially fight our way out and, and to tell the kids that uh, I, uh, that I love them. Uh, and she, I remember what she said to me is she, she knows me. I mean, she, we've been together for a very long time. And, uh, you know, we first met when I was in the military. I remember she told me um, that I'm a husband now and a father and I have obligations to the family and that I shouldn't try to be a hero or do anything that would put uh, me in jeopardy. 
so we finished that call. Uh, I hung up, and as soon as uh, I hung up, I, I kind of got into combat mode and uh, started to go through a checklist, a mental checklist of what I needed to do. And what, what was that mental checklist? Well, the first was was to try to secure the perimeter, right? So I went and started to check on the doors and, and asked some of the other members to check on some of the doors that I couldn't get to, so to, to ensure that the doors were locked and as secure as we could make them. There were more doors than there were police officers in the chamber. Uh, the second was to try to get the members uh, together, try to get us into a small group so we weren't spread out, uh, and to get us to a defensive position, uh, because if we had to fight, we want to make sure you're together and you're in a, in a, in a tight group. Um, I uh, recommended to the members that, that uh, we all take our pins off uh, so we weren't identifiable as, as high-value targets. So if the mob made it in and we had to fight our way out or try to blend in with the mob, uh, they wouldn't be able to see uh, that we were members. Uh, helped uh, folks make sure that um, they were ready, uh, uh, um, you know, that they had uh, shoes off if they needed to sprint. Uh, so um, uh, they were leaving their backpacks behind uh, if they needed to. Uh, and then I started to coordinate with the police officers uh, on, this, on the scene uh, to tell them, uh, number one, that they had to communicate to their commanders that there were members trapped in the gallery because I was pretty certain that they didn't know we were there. Uh, so they had to let them, let, uh, let them know there were members in the gallery uh, and try to get a sense for, from them as to where the mob was, whether we were completely encircled. Uh, around that time, I heard the, the gunshot come from the speaker's lobby, so I knew... Uh, that there was a violent force being uh, used. I was hearing banging, which I thought was either gunshots or furniture uh, coming from um, various parts in the gallery. Uh, and then uh, also, of course, uh, started to hear the mob try to ram down the barricades, bang on the doors, the breaking of glass, and try to make it through the, the doors as well. What are your colleagues saying to you as you're giving out these directions? What is their reaction um, uh, fear, uh, a lot of expletives. Um, uh, a lot of people were making calls uh, to family, uh, FaceTiming with family, um, you know, have, having those calls. Um, you know, I, I saw my colleague, uh, Susan Wild, uh, in, in great distress after uh, she had talked to uh, her son. So just wanted to let her know that I was there and I wouldn't let harm come to her and that we would be able to get through this. And we were consoling, you know, each other because, of course, we were all all very um, anxious and uh, fearful of what was going to happen. Um, and uh, you know, several of us were getting ready to fight. I tried to find any weapon that I could. You know, the, the seats are um, bolted down to the floor, so the only thing that I had was the pen in my in my pocket, um, which uh, I would have used if I had to. People have seen the picture of you consoling. Uh, Congresswoman Wild, what were you thinking as you're trying to consult her? I was thinking that um, uh, I was probably going to have to fight my way out. And, and I mean, go back to Army Ranger days and being serving overseas, and you're thinking, I have to fight my way out. Were you scared? Yeah, of course I was, right? I mean, if you're, if you're not scared in a situation like that, then there's probably something wrong with you, or you don't realize the magnitude of the situation. Uh, there was a moment where uh, I was going to ask one of the officers for his firearm, uh, because I've used firearms uh, before against people. I know that I'm, I'm capable of doing what, what's necessary to protect myself and protect others. 
but I didn't know whether the officers were because you just never, my, my experience in combat is that you never know who's willing to actually pull that trigger uh, and do what's necessary. But I know that I could. So I was thinking about asking that officer for his firearm. I decided not to because I didn't want to put the officer in that position. But I never thought that uh, my two lives, I'm a very different person now than I was when I was a ranger. You know, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a member of Congress. And I thought that when I took that uniform off years ago, that I had left that life uh, behind me. Uh, and, you know, I've changed. And I never thought it would converge again. I never thought that I'd be in a position of having to, to think like that and potentially act like that. Uh, and certainly not as a member of Congress in 2021 in the House chamber in the United States Capitol. But they did. Those lives came back together again. Uh, and that's something that I'm going to have to, to deal with, uh, you know, in, in the months and years ahead. You were going to use a pen as a weapon. How can a pen be a weapon? Well, I won't go into the details, but, you know, uh, you can you can do what you need to do with whatever you have available, you know, whether that's a pen or or, you know, other other common things. So uh, and of course, if I needed to, to um, you know, ask one of those officers for his gun, I still would have done that. Um, but, um, you know, I would have done what I needed to do to make sure that um, we got out of that uh, alive and that was going to protect my colleagues. I wasn't about to let the House chamber uh, be taken over. I wasn't allowed about to let you know that mob uh, derail our democracy and um, hurt my colleagues. OK, so Congressman, take us forward now to how this, what happens after you've given those directions and you're in a stance, you're close together, you're ready to fight if you need to. How does this get resolved? I was communicating with officers uh, to tell them that we were trapped in the chamber. Uh, Eventually they said that there was a force, uh, a a reaction force that was gonna come and get us out, uh, that was gonna make make it through the crowd. So what appeared to be a, a SWAT team was able to push their way through the riot and clear a path uh, we got word, uh, they were communicating via radio that, uh, that that team was on the other side of the doors. So we opened up the doors uh, and started to move out in small groups. Uh, so a series of three or four groups at a time were, were moving out. It was about two dozen members, about a dozen journalists and, and officers. Uh, at the same time, I was coordinating with a few members that were on the House floor that, that uh, were telling us to all get out. And I remember uh, talking to Mark Wayne Mullen I told Mark Wayne uh, that um, he needed to get out, too, because if if he was uh, staying behind, uh, that would jeopardize the officer's safety as well. Those officers would have had to have stayed there as well to protect them. And I knew the mob was far, far bigger than uh, anybody could handle. So everybody needed to get out if they needed to uh, to protect those officers as well. So eventually uh, everybody got out. I I, uh, stayed behind to make sure. Uh, all civilians were out, and as soon as the last uh, journalist and member was out, uh, I followed uh, behind, uh, and we all made it to the secure location. New Jersey Democrat Tom Malinowski was sitting nearby on January 6th. He told us why he was in the chamber when protesters first penetrated the Capitol. I wanted to be present for what I thought would be a very important but ceremonial event, the the recognition, the official recognition by the U.S. Congress of the outcome of the presidential election, critical uh, ritual in our constitutional system. And 
Uh, I knew that there were demonstrations planned. Uh, I knew who was doing the demonstrating and that these were dangerous people. But I have to say, I was very confident that the Capitol was secure. Like many of us, I I felt, you know, there must be more security here that we're not seeing. <laughs> and, um, and as the meeting progressed and we knew that there were people gathering outside, uh, a, a couple of times, actually, I, I stepped out of the chamber with uh, my friend and colleague, Dean Phillips of Minnesota, and we went to some of the windows to just get a view of what was happening outside. And uh, I, I remember reassuring him when, when he pointed out how many potential entrances there were and that it was a pretty big crowd. I, I remember saying to him and then to others when we got back to our seats that we shouldn't worry. This place is a fortress. And the Capitol Police, um, they're, they're well-equipped and uh, able to handle whatever is going to be thrown at us. And then, of course, none of that turned out to be true. And... Um, through no fault of the Capitol Police, in my view, in retrospect, they did everything they could have, and they made the right calls under extreme pressure. Um, but of course, we we know what happened next. My experience of it was uh, very different from those looking, watching on television at home. Uh, in fact, in some respects, those of us in the chamber knew less than people who were watching around the world because we couldn't see beyond the walls of the chamber. Uh, we saw at one point the um, Speaker Speaker Pelosi's security detail whisk her out of the chamber. That was certainly a signal that something was something was going on. Um, Do you remember and, if you said anything to your colleagues around you or think anything when you saw her leave? Yeah, at this point, you know, I... I mean, I was at this point quite angry. I, I didn't I didn't yet realize, I had no clue how bad it was going to be, but I, I remember feeling quite angry, um, thinking that um, there was a clear connection between some of the words that were being uh, spoken on the floor of the House, challenging the legitimacy of a clearly legitimate election and what was happening outside of uh, of the building. Um, and there was a moment at which, uh, uh, Dean, uh, Dean Phillips, who is a very mild mannered, uh, pleasant person, uh, just shouted out, um, you did this to our Republican colleagues on the floor of the house who were leading the charge to decertify. This is because of you, he said. This the House will be in order. Okay. I agreed with him. I was struck that it was him, of all of us, who vocalized that sentiment, because in some ways he would have been the last person I would have expected, because he's He's someone with very strong friendships on both sides of the aisle and someone with a very 
calm personality. Slow to anger, as they say. Um, and then uh, things devolved from, from there. Um, we were getting very incomplete and contradictory information about the security situation. Um, at a certain point, the proceedings stopped. Uh, we heard from the sergeant at arms um, that we needed to take out our gas masks, which are uh, found underneath the seats in the house. Most people didn't know how to use the gas masks or really un they didn't understand whether we were supposed to use them or simply take them out. Um, we saw Capitol Police officers racing back and forth uh, to try to secure the doors to the chamber uh, and then heard that they didn't have the keys to lock the doors. It was very clear at that point that nobody really knew what was happening or what to do. And then a couple of us moved from our seats on sort of the far left, the democratic side of the, the balcony to closer to the center. I, I reasoned at that point that uh, if the riders were to break in, they would more likely break in on that side, just based on its proximity to an external exit. And so I wanted to get further away from the entrance that I thought was most likely to be breached. Um, the, the, the gas masks make a, a sound, a, a kind of hissing siren type sound when they are turned on, they have a battery that helps the, the circulation of the air. And so at a certain point, there are dozens and dozens of masks making the siren sound, which contributed to an atmosphere of, of tension, um, at one point, the house chaplain stood up at the podium on the house floor and started praying, which um, was, it was a good example of a wonderful person doing her job, but in a way that also contributed to an atmosphere of impending doom. Um, and then uh, one of the Capitol Police officers motioned to some of us to exit by uh, the door on uh, what we think of as the Republican side, the right-hand side of the, the House chamber. So some of us just exited through that door. We got on an elevator. Um, someone on the elevator pressed the wrong button which took us down to the most dangerous floor actually, uh, rather than to the sub-basement. Uh, we, we were heading for the, the, the underground tunnel leading to the Rayburn building, but got off on the wrong floor because somebody pressed the wrong button and then took the stairs from there. We did not come face to face with the riders. Although I think reconstructing it, we left at precisely the moment when uh, the, the gunshots were fired uh, outside or through the speaker's lobby. As you and your colleagues are traveling in that 
elevator and then making your way down the stairs. Do you remember what is being said or, and, or what you you're thinking? I, I was thinking that, um, stay alert, stay in control. Um, think of the people around me, make sure, you know, make sure no one is straggling, make sure everybody's going in the same direction. Um, at this point, again, we do not see what people watching television see and, and certainly not the images that we have since seen of the extreme violence outside as, as brave police officers tried to hold these people off. Um, we just knew that there had been a breach, that there were rioters inside the building, that it wasn't safe, and we needed to get everybody out of there. And so I was thinking, all right, let's, where, where, where should we go? Because we have no guidance apart from one police officer who's clearly improvising. And let me make sure that everybody I can see is heading in that direction. So you have one police officer who's not being told by anybody higher up than him or her uh, to where to take you. This person is... Well, he was on a rate. I mean, he was in radio communication with others, but, but the plan of where to take us was clearly being improvised. And so his thought was take us to the Rayburn building cafeteria. Um, so that's where we headed. We went through the tunnel, um, paused at the Rayburn end of the tunnel for more confused deliberation among uh, police officers, proceeded to the Rayburn cafeteria. Um, that did not seem safe. I, I instantly felt that that was not the place where we should be. Um, at this point, there are, I don't know, two or three dozen members of Congress in our group, one police officer, and then I, I believe the officer or somebody else got word that there was a larger convening um, in the Ways and Means Committee hearing room, which ended up the place where uh, everybody who'd been in the chamber gathered. And so we then proceeded there again without incident and um, spent the rest of the afternoon waiting there. Are there any um, disagreements happening among you and your colleagues or between others uh, at this time? Not as we were, not as we were transiting, no. But other times there were. Um, I think most of the people who ended up gathering in the Longworth uh, hearing room, in that Ways and Means Committee hearing room, were of a single mind, and there were Republicans there as well as Democrats. Um, Congresswoman Lynn Cheney was, Liz Cheney, sorry, was, was there. Um, and um, there was a group that some of us refer to as the QAnon caucus, kind of huddled in, in a corner of the room, and there were some disagreements about wearing masks involved in. But I think most of the people in that room shared a, um, 
a sense of the tragedy of what had just happened. And most important, a determination to go back and finish the job. And the moment I got into the, into the ways and means room, that's all I could think about. Like we, whatever just happened, we, we have to get back in there. The moment it is clear, the moment it is um, reasonably safe, not a hundred percent safe, not uh, normal circumstances, capital police, double, triple checking that nothing could possibly ever happen to someone safe, but like, reasonable for a crisis safe we need to go back without a moment's delay and finish the certification of the election because otherwise these guys have have won they if they delay us for one night because we went home that would be a victory and the most important thing was to show the world that the united states congress cannot be intimidated and that the United States constitution cannot be undermined by a mob. Shortly after 3.30 in the morning on January 7th, lawmakers certified the results of the 2020 presidential election. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for president of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for President of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden, Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for Vice President of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for Vice President of the United States are as follows. Kamala D. Harris of the state of California has received 306 votes. Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana has received 232 votes. The purpose of the joint session having concluded, pursuant to Senate Concurrent Resolution 1, 117th Congress, the chair declares the joint session dissolved. Thanks for listening to January 6th, Views from the House. Follow this podcast and get all five episodes. There's more coverage of the event surrounding the January 6th joint session and the congressional hearings examining what happened on the Capitol that day at cspan.org.